What's going on, folks? Welcome to episode 85 of the Next Bite Podcast. This one is about cars. It's about EVs. So if you like cars or EVs, this is definitely for you. We're going to start off the episode talking about plug-and-play EVs. If you have been interested in what a modular feature could look like, and you know we kind of go on a tangent about how Daniel might start his own car company in the near future, so stay tuned for that. And then we jump off to the German Aerospace Center and how they want to resolve or really address these green goals that the European Union is going to have for getting rid of all gas and diesel cars in the near future. So if any of that interests you, then buckle up and let's get into it. I'm Daniel. And I'm Forbode. And this is the Next Byte Podcast. Every week, we explore interesting and impactful tech and engineering content from Weevolver.com and deliver it to you in bite-sized episodes that are easy to understand, regardless of your background. All right, folks, let's jump into Article 1. This one's out of the Technical University of Munich, and it's actually a spinoff that's coming out of the Technical University of Munich. They're called Deep Drive. Before we get into what Deep Drive's doing, I want to talk about Deep Drive because they actually have a pretty interesting story that kind of resonates with like you and me. So let's go. Let's get into it. Who is Deep Drive? Well, it's it's a group of students that in 2015 were working together to compete in the uh, Formula E competitions. You know, like the student formula competitions. Yeah. So they spent some time. We, we together. were also on a student formula. Exactly. Team we were we were one of the well, two of the founders of the team. For the Formula yeah. SAE at George Mason, represent. So these folks were working together, and they made a point of saying in the article, you know, like before the competition, we learned a lot about the technical expertise of what it takes to make a car, but the project management side and working together. Love to hear the stories like that, you know, student competitions bringing other students close yeah. together. And after the competition was over, they actually won the engineering design component of it. You know, these competitions have different components. So some of them graduated, the others were finishing up school, and they ended up getting jobs. But throughout all of this, they stayed in touch with each other, and they were always curious about uh, electromobility. So how EVs are growing, and what kind of industries can they impact, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. So one of the things they started to realize is that developing an EV is complicated. You know, they have firsthand experience developing EVs at that point because it's time-consuming, it's expensive. So imagine if you know, you're making a one-off, it's taking that much energy out of you. What is it going to take to create a program of a car that's going to be manufactured over and over again, you know, thousands of times? Dan, I'm sure that resonates with you, given yeah, your experience. As someone who's involved with that, yeah. it's a lot of effort. It's really challenging. <laughs> so they were like, look, this is obviously a pain point. And then you add on to the fact that there's a lot of parties that are trying to grow uh, how, how well they're established in markets in Asia or in Europe. And specifically, they realize that these folks are going after um, these niche groups. They gave some examples. They were saying like optimal uh, parcel delivery. So this could be, you know, just packages delivered by your USPS van or pizza boxes or whatever, or even like shuttle services. So you would want a platform that's very optimized for that. But if you're, some, you're optimizing for shuttle services, and the little tiny USPS truck, that seems to be like completely different platforms. So not only is it tough to make one platform, 
Now you have to start catering to all these specific needs, which makes your problem even worse. So they had this dream, right? They had this dream of a plug and play platform that could scale to any vehicle that you wanted. And that was the genesis of Deep Drive. So let's get into Deep Drive a little bit further. Um, they realized that ideally manufacturers could be using these platforms to quickly spin up, you know, whatever car they wanted to make. And they know that this isn't a new idea. Again, you have experience with two big EV manufacturers in the United States, so you can speak to this. But apparently having a platform that can be used for different cars has been done before. But what they wanted to do, as I mentioned earlier, is make it scalable. So whether you're making a small car or a big car, it's plug and playable. And they also wanted it to use, you know, some new technologies to make it more compact and uh, therefore really just save weight. If you're saving weight, you're going to make a more efficient car. It's simple mathematics. Yeah, I mean, so I, I've worked at a number of different EV manufacturers, like you mentioned, and a couple of them use a, a platform they call a skateboard, right? Because it looks like a skateboard. So it's just, it's the rolling chassis. It houses the batteries. It's got everything that makes it drive. And then once you determine what the skateboard design is, you can figure out whatever it is you want to put on top, right? Do you want to put a delivery truck on top? Do you want it to be an ice cream truck on top? Um, do you want it to be a sports car or a pickup truck or... You know, an SUV, you kind of pick your own poison and it lowers the barrier, or the barrier to entry, right? Because you don't have to figure out how to make an EV that drives. You just have to figure out what body you want and integrate it on top. Right. Um, and now just the general question I've always had when it comes to skateboards, right? How much flexibility do you really have? Like if you're creating a platform for a, like a sports utility, an SUV. Right, which you would want it to be, you know, uh, more torque. You would want it probably to have an X amount of range because it's going to carry more stuff around in it versus a little tiny hatchback, right? Can you use the same skateboard? Like, do you have the flexibility to scale down its performance, um, especially if you want to go after like a target price that's much, much lower? Or is it, do you have to stay within like the same realm of cars? Like, if you're making an SUV, can you do an SUV and a truck or can you do an SUV, a truck, a sedan and a hatchback and a coupe or whatever? Well, I think this team from Technical University of Munich kind of hit the nail on the head in terms of where the pain point is, is the fact that the, the, you have to be able to modulate the size to make the same platform work. So okay. it's generally like you're guessing it's, it's bound by the size of the skateboard as to what size of body you can put on top. Um, but I think this is their they're on the right track here. There's a really unique market opportunity for companies that want to do just this. Um, trying to remember the EV company. I think it was Lordstown Motors. Okay. Um, they had a really unique like pickup truck and SUV design, and they figured out that the market opportunity for them was actually in selling their skateboard, so their electric vehicle chassis platform, as opposed to the vehicles themselves. So I went and saw their truck in a show and it looked really cool but basically what they're saying is they're never going to make that truck and sell it to people at least not for the time being what they're focusing on in in helping you know other auto manufacturers and other people around the world make electric vehicles by selling their chassis platform to other people so it, i think deep drive is on the right track here where they're saying there's a lot you know there's a significant amount of work that it takes to get from you know, hey, I've got an idea for what I want to use with this electric vehicle to a product that actually works and works around in the world, functions, and you can sell it by 
defining a chassis or this this plug and play platform is what they call it, this plug and play platform. Um, you can help get people 50, 60, 70% of the way there, and then they can just finish it themselves to whatever application that they want. Okay. I'm going to have follow-up questions later, but that's that's good insight for now. Uh, continuing with the story from this deep drive group, in spring of 2021, I, w- I was mentioning how you know they had this idea. It was really cool. They took their idea to the Technical University of Munich startup consultants, and they participated in this pre-incubator program. And shortly after, they actually made their first prototype. So this is what their platform has, and this is how they're trying to accomplish their goals. It has an integrated battery system. Uh, it's supposed to be very efficient in wheel motors. So you know that that gets rid of some of the hardware requirements that you typically have. Um, the driving system, the steering, and chassis all are in, all integrated within the system itself. So what is it? Uh, what is it supposed to be accomplishing here? Right. And we always talk about the secret sauce. So if I was going to try to get to what the flavor profile is, I would say efficient drive system, right? Scalable, efficient drive system. And they mentioned that the main differentiator besides the plug and play aspect that it can scale from a small car to a big car is those wheels within uh, the integrated motors within the wheels, because that just lowers their weight by so much that they're able to accomplish a range that's 20% greater than current state-of-the-art. Well, and I imagine in addition to the fact that, right, it's a lot lighter because you don't have these axles, you don't have a transmission, you don't have an engine. Right. Um, that also, those are a lot of the components in a traditional internal combustion engine vehicle that wear a lot, right? So, like, you might have a car that makes it to 300 to 4,000, 400,000 miles. The body makes it that far. But along the way, you've had to rebuild the axle. You have to rebuild the transmission. Sometimes people have to rebuild their engines, right? Those are a lot of the wearable components. Once you remove those, right, and an electric vehicle has a lot less components, there's also probably a lot lower maintenance cost or total cost of ownership per mile. That's a really good point, yeah. So when when I was thinking about this, and the reason I was asking you questions earlier, by the way, is because I found myself being kind of cynical about this. I was like, this sounds like such a great idea, right? In an ideal world. But you have all these big manufacturers that are just really going head to head right now to prove to other people that they have the best platform, right? So why would they want to sign up for a platform that's going to be shared with other people just to change what they're going to put on top of it anyways? And then I started thinking a little bit more and I'm like, well, I mean, do you know the uh, the super sport company called Remock? Uh, they're based at, I think, Croatia. Yeah. 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 Very high performance. And I think they were uh, acquired or like semi-acquired by the VW group. And they're also working with, I think, Hyundai. And they're providing them with the battery technology to base their EVs off of. And those, you know, two big manufacturers are completely okay with sharing that technology. So then I was like, maybe this this actually isn't that far of a stretch to think that there's going to be a platform that's shared by all these manufacturers and on the user experience side, what really matters to me is when I'm sitting in the car, like, how nice is the interior? You know, like, do I enjoy being in here? Does, does the outside look nice when I want to, like, pose next to it? You know, show off a little bit. So it's it seems like a likely future. And then, you know, they, they talked about all these companies uh, trying to go into China and European markets for those niche groups of delivery services. Like, I don't think Domino's really cares that much about, you know, what's under the hood. 
they just want a platform that's stable and efficient so that they're not spending a lot of money. And as you mentioned, not spending a ton of money on maintenance either would be wonderful. So if they can share that platform with the USPS truck, I don't think they'd care that much. They're just going to put on Domino's branding, make sure it's delivering stuff everywhere, and that's the end of it. On top of that, if there really is one uniform platform that a lot of people are using, I think when it comes to you know supply chain issues that we've seen be a struggle for a while, it might be a little bit more steady, more predictable how many units you're going to get. Maybe we can have better recycling programs so whenever the end of life for these vehicles comes around, we're not just you know making their way into the junkyard and becoming junk. We can actually reuse it somehow. So I don't know. I went from being kind of cynical to reading it. And at the end, I was a bit hopeful. So uh, yeah, it was an experience for me. And by the way, uh, this group of uh, founders that created Deep Drive, they have now grown to eight members. And awesome. they are working on a production version of their prototype. And they noted that by the end of this year, they expect to have uh, over 20 members working on this thing. So That's progress awesome. being made. Yeah. It's... um. A growing team is always an indicator of, you know, growing progress and, and they're, they're solving bigger problems and think they're, you know, think they're onto something, right? You wouldn't, you wouldn't hire more people if you didn't think you were, you know, attacking that a problem that's worth solving. So for sure, it's exciting to see them scale up and I'd love to see them, um, you know, as, as an overarching goal to, especially for commercial vehicles, I think, um, bring transport from vehicle types that create a lot of emissions, especially in urban areas to something that is cleaner operating no, zero or low emission vehicles. I'm really, really excited to see deep drive specifically with commercial applications. I, I get excited about that and their, their ability to make this, you know, plug and play platform that, you know, people you're saying USPS and Domino's alike could both look at this platform and say, yes, I want that. Um, it's pretty exciting. One, one last tangent before we move on. Do you think this could open the uh, the access for hobbyists? And I'm using that term uh, kind of loosely, but you know, there's kit cars everywhere. It, there's there's a domain of people that love buying pieces and putting the car together themselves. Do you think this could open the gate for hobbyists to be able to create their own EVs and maybe I don't know some boutique car companies can start sprouting here and there? I'd love to see that, especially um, one of the things that I've always considered or would love to do as like a retirement hobby is to uh make electric resto mods so take an old classic car um and restore it but as part of restoring it a lot of times people have to rebuild or swap the engine instead of rebuilding or swapping the engine to swap it out for an electric drivetrain um i would love to do that there's a couple cool companies that are doing it like zero labs they do it with ford broncos um, hey, you keep sending I think it to my DMs. Super exciting! Yeah, yeah. It's, I keep looking at them and drooling over it, wishing I had more money to buy one. But um, c- quite frankly, I think this this could help. Uh, like like we talked about, lower the barrier to entry for those people. Um, just the way that Ford has by making a like a created electric motor that fits right in the engine bay of a lot of Ford vehicles mm-hmm. and connects connects right up to the drivetrain. Um, obviously that that's great if you're working on Ford cars, but I think something like this from this team from deep drive will help kind of democratize the technology for even more people. All right. Well, I guess if uh, all goes well, we'll see a next bike garage, right? Putting cars yeah. together. So exactly. we're now even more excited and rooting for this team. Best of luck to them. <laughs> Alrighty. I'm going to jump us into our second topic for the day. 
which is about interurban vehicles for green and comfortable long journeys. This is a team from the German Aerospace Center or DLR, okay. and we want. I want to talk about the context in which they're working here. Please right? do. There's, interurban. That's there's been a big shift in focus for automotive travel in general, right? There's a big focus on green and low emissions vehicles, um, like we were just alluding to in the last topic. But in many states, and when I say states, I mean states within the U.S., like different regional areas with their own legislations, including states as well as like the entire European Union. Right. So in many different states. Um, there's already been established bans on purchase of gas or diesel cars by the year 2035. Um, that's pretty widespread. Like all of EU, they don't want to be able to buy any more gas or diesel cars by 2035. Um, same thing in California by I think 2030 or 2035. But all the way to the, I would say that's kind of the the baseline of a lot of these regulations f- focusing on green and low emissions vehicles. The very, very aggressive regulations, for instance, is stuff like Paris, where all diesel vehicles will be banned from entering the city by 2024. So if you're thinking about interurban travel, right, th- there there are vehicles that you want to drive from inside the city out into the suburbs, right? You could put on, in theory, as, as a taxi or something like that, driving people from inside Paris out to the suburbs. You could, in theory, put on, th- you know, a thousand kilometers in a day, a few hundred miles, right? Driving back and yeah, forth. Sounds about right, honestly. Um, some of the challenges with the existing versions of green travel, right? Battery electric vehicles, range has improved, um, but there's still challenges with people being able to charge fast enough or people get range anxiety saying, you know, uh oh, if I if I run out of battery, I'm not gonna be able to recharge in five minutes. What am I gonna do? Or accessibility of chargers and electric infrastructure. All these things are things that will need to improve um, to make battery electric vehicles widespread and super easy to adopt, right? Right. In the the same way, right, there's plug-in hybrid vehicles that use gas and battery electric. um, And those generally have the concept that work pretty well, right? You use the battery for most of your driving, but if you need to you've got a small reserve gas tank there that you can use to power an engine and a drivetrain um and it kind of gets you it's supposed to be the best of both worlds right you can do battery electric vehicle driving for the majority of your driving you can use the gas as a reserve if you need to and it kind of alleviates this range anxiety we were talking about where um you know people feel like if they run out of battery it's going to take them 40 45 minutes to recharge am i going to be late to work right am i going to be late getting home etc etc but the problem with those plug-in hybrids is a lot of times people end up just using the gas. So they just use the engine, all the extra battery hardware that's sitting there, the electric motors, all that is dead weight, and it actually makes the car a lot less efficient. So there's been some studies recently showing that plug-in hybrids can emit like up to two to four times as much as a normal conventional internal combustion engine car. Whoa. So people feel like they're doing the right thing by buying a plug-in hybrid car, but because of the way that their driving habits are, maybe that you know, the, the car that they bought wasn't perfect for the way that they need to drive every day. If they need to drive long routes, um, then they can't rely on just the battery. And in this way, they've actually done a little bit more damage. If you look at the total life of the car and the resources that had to go into the bat to manufacture the battery, etc., they've actually done more damage by buying a plug-in hybrid than they would have if they just bought a battery electric vehicle or if they just bought an internal combustion engine vehicle. So 
when we're talking about interurban travel, right? You have to be both in the city and you have to be traveling out to the suburbs. This is mm-hmm. in in the greater metropolitan areas of large cities. You can put on lots of miles, and right now there's not a real green solution that makes everyone feel comfortable. It's funny that the thing you just said about the plug-in electric vehicle because I was in the market for a car, and PEVs were like pretty popular, and I was like, oh, this this makes a lot of sense. But it sounds like a classic example of engineers having you know the best intentions in mind and then you know end users not following that along and it just <laughs> ending up being a worse solution than what you were trying to get away from so i, I we should link the um study to the episode yeah so i will I'll find that yeah, yeah. so th- th- that's so, interesting what i was going to say following the uh interurban stuff is what is the solution here? Because this is a pretty aggressive timeline, right? 2024 is right around the corner. Um, PEVs, not only were they what, what seemed like a great option, they were also more affordable and the EVs are pretty costly and the cost is just rising. So what's uh, what's the secret sauce? What's the magic here? Well, the secret sauce here is they do use a plug-in hybrid model. <laughs> okay. But instead of an internal combustion engine being the alternative to the battery, they're using a hydrogen fuel cell. Oh, okay. That's divisive. But so so it, it's a it's a connection of two of the more green zero emission technologies, right? Hydrogen fuel cells and battery electric vehicles. They're combining them to make a fuel cell and battery hybrid EV. Um, so it uses high pressure hydrogen storage. Um, to store hydrogen that can be used in the fuel cell to generate electricity and drive the drivetrain. They also have a battery on board that you can plug up and charge independently of, of the hydrogen um, and use the battery to power the electric drivetrain and drive the car. And the idea here is that between these mixed methods, right, you've got an opportunity to use whichever fuel it is that you like most, whether it's plugging in your battery and charging it or filling up with hydrogen, Um allows you some flexibility, right? Because hydrogen is not widely accessible, hydrogen right. fuel stations. And people are sometimes worried that electric chargers won't always be accessible or won't be able to fill up fast enough. So you've kind of got two options, right? A, a flexible option by which to power your car. And if you've got both of them filled up to the brim, right? You've got the battery charged to 100%. You've got the hydrogen tank filled up to 100%. This thing can, in theory, drive over 1,000 kilometers, which is 620 miles, without running out of any fuel. That's so very Before it runs actually. out, the maximum range is 620 miles. I don't know many cars, hybrid, battery electric, fuel cell, you know, anywhere across the gamut. I don't know many cars that can drive 620 miles on a single, char- a single charge or single fill. I think, take this with a grain of salt, but I think the Toyota hybrid uh plug-in hybrid ref four my clock in at just shy of 600 um, i mean it, this this is pretty impressive that, that is can, pretty impressive they can get this done and especially when you put it in the context of hydrogen fuel cell or battery right battery evs we we don't see many go well over 400 miles um so by combining these two technologies they were able to get it over 620 miles right and they can do it with in what we consider to be zero emissions. So nothing coming out of that vehicle as it's driving around, especially in urban areas, right, where air quality is limited. That's something that's unique to think about is if it's driving purely based on the battery electric drivetrain, there's nothing coming out from an emissions perspective. And if it's driving on the hydrogen fuel cell, there's water coming out, which is also not harmful to the air. So um, it's an interesting thing to look at when you're saying this thing goes 620 miles in urban areas without emitting anything at all. That's something that's super appealing to people like Paris who are trying to make take a really aggressive regulatory stance on improving their air quality. So 
I, I, I want to start off uh, the thing that I'm about to say by saying that I'm, I'm very bullish on hydrogen, right? But it is a pretty divisive component of the green transportation topic, right? We've covered it in the past. There's uh, problems with just making sure that there's stations that have hydrogen, like transporting it from point A to point B. What state is the hydrogen going to be in? Um, there's basically a bunch of problems. I think Elon Musk has famously said it's like never going to take off. But then you have bigger car manufacturers like Nissan. Nissan and Toyota. Say, and Toyota, they're saying actually hydrogen fuel cells are the future and we're looking at evs plug-in evs and hybrids as the transitionary technologies until we reach you know that this fuel cell technology at at a wide scale so what i was going to say is this kind of seems like range anxiety squared to me versus having like range anxiety and then something that kind of alleviates the stress now that might just be because my experience with anything hydrogen related is in the united states where we only have like what a handful of fuel stations in california where you can fill up but if you know this is being deployed in germany since this is dlr that's doing it um they might have different infrastructure so that's that's something that i don't know makes me feel like that if you're going for a 2024 timeline it might be a bit aggressive and this technology might be a little bit more suited for the future. But if the government, you know, they're, they're making radical changes right now in terms of where they're getting their energy from and uh, their infrastructure. So if they're willing to put that investment in and make sure that they have the right uh, resources to support this, I'm all for it. Well, I'm going to put on my pessimist hat here for a second. All right, I'll take mine off. There, you can have it. Th- th- there's no way that they're going to get this into production, serious production by 2024. Okay. Granted, the, there's a very small chance that they get this into serious production by 2024. And 2024, um, by the way, that that's just a ban for Paris, or is it like Europe? I only know this specifically to Paris. Okay. So I'm not sure. But okay. So this is Germany's version of NASA, right? There, are, there are a bunch of scientists, and what they're doing is that showing us that at the cutting edge, with their concept car, this is what's possible. This is the art of possible. So they showed us that a plug-in hybrid model between battery electric and hydrogen fuel cell electric vehicles is possible that it gets you high range that you can do they explored unique types of light weighting um, like using fiber reinforced polymers instead of metals in in a lot of parts of the body they made what i think their body was less than 300 kilograms which they consider to be one of the lightest bodies automotive bodies ever um, so they use fiber reinforced polymers and sandwich materials for lightweighting. So the sandwich materials being like, they've got carbon fiber as the pieces of bread in the sandwich. And in the middle, they've got a lightweight foam or balsa wood. And all of this helped them to do extra lightweighting to make sure that this vehicle was more efficient. They also, um, are you aware of adiabatic cooling? I am not. Um, so when you've got, maybe you are, but not the name, right? You've got a gas compressed up inside a can. And once you start to relieve the pressure in it's that cold. can, right, it starts to cool yeah, off. Yeah. Um, and so they talked about how if you're using the super high pressure hydrogen storage, they can use that decompression and the cooling to generate cooling for the AC, mm-hmm. right? So they're, they're trying to find extra ways to make this thing more efficient. They're exploring this, basically, again, showing us with science, with cutting edge technology, this is the art of possible. They also, this car that they designed has no B pillar. So the B pillar, that the A pillar would be the one that, you know, 
connects the cant rail and your windshield, right? So it's the very first pillar in the car. The B would be the second right. one behind the first door. There's no B pillar, which is in automotive world, the B pillar is critical to side impact, right? Imagine you get hit hit from the side uh, by a car or a pole, etc. right? If you've got no structural member right there in the middle protecting the passengers, how do they do this? So they had to re-engineer the side skirt at the bottom. So on their in, in in the floor in the side that that side skirt is really heavily reinforced so this is super experimental this is a concept car it's super lightweight less than 1600 kilograms um which is about the mass of a um volkswagen e-golf but it's much larger than that it can carry five to six passengers travel up to a thousand kilometers the hydrogen portion can refuel in less than five minutes um and they said that it's being designed to be level four autonomous. So designed for a future where the algorithms and the technology already exist to have cars that can completely drive themselves without human and human oversight. So what they're talking about here is a future that's a couple years off, but they're showing automotive manufacturers. They're showing other scientists. They're showing potential partners in Germany, right? German auto engineering ecosystem is really, really competitive and really innovative. So they're, they're showing them that this technology is out there and it, it could be used to make a difference in terms of green travel in the interurban space. All right, well, I'm going to put my Optimus hat on and say <laughs> with concept cars, right? The, the goal that you really have is, like you said, showing people what, what it is you're shooting for. So to me, it's it seems like composites for the structural components of a vehicle that is not a two and a half million dollar hypercar, right? That's the direction they're going. I think that's great. Cost might be an issue, but they might be ironing out how to make it scalable through this process. Um, increasing range using hydrogen fuel cells and EVs. And maybe if they don't even have the structure to support it, they can propose what, what those requirements would be. Also great. So the optimist in me says this is a cool thing. If they're able to show it off, if they're able to get enough buy-in to say, to, to, to tell industry like, hey, we should actually move towards this, I think that's awesome. I think they're accomplishing what they're setting out for, and I wish them best of luck. And that's not just because I'm biased for uh, you know the win that is hydrogen fuel cells. It's inevitable. It's going to happen. Well, I, I think it's exciting, and like we talked about, you know, unique air conditioning methods using the hydrogen cooling. Um, new structural methods for light weighting, um, even new design structures or design features in a car, like a car with no B pillar and that they still believe would be safe and crash. Um, they made a bunch of vehicle demonstrators for this. Um, I'm sure they'll be sharing this with a lot of people in the automotive ecosystem in Germany. Um, it, it would be interesting to see what comes of this. And that's exactly what a concept car is for, right? It just shows people what's possible, gets people's minds going. And sometimes you we were talking about this before we started recording, right? Um, companies like Hyundai take concept cars like the Ionic and like make it to the T, right? Yep. The, the production car looks exactly like their concept car. That would be awesome. I hope that this would be the case here. I honestly, pessimist capped back on. I don't think that that's going to happen, but I could honestly see, you know, in the future, 5, 10, 15 years from now, people pointing to this saying that we borrowed this design element or we are inspired by this design element from this team from DLR. Side note, I feel like we should get pessimist and optimist caps and actually wear them 
well, wear them while I, we're recording. Yeah, we have to. <laughs> like at this point, we just have to. That's that's a great well, idea. You've got to, You've got to put them both on, take them on and off interchangeably to properly evaluate something as well. Do you think it could be like one hat where like half of it is like the optimist and the other is like the pessimist? And when you're you know putting it so that's facing backwards, that's the cool side. You're the optimist, and then when the when when the visor's facing forward, that's when you're serious and you're the pessimist. I feel like it could it's work. an indicator, so we yeah. can just know which way each other are swinging, so we can do good, good cop, bad cop. Yeah, optimist, pessimist. We should definitely allocate podcast budget to that. It seems like a safe, safe investment to me. <laughs> <laughs> All right, man. Uh, I think it's a good spot to end the episode on. What do you think? Yeah, let's wrap the episode here. But I think we've been trending somewhere. We have. Can you share with everyone where we've been trending? We have. We trended for the first time in Italy. We hit, I think, fifty-six in technology. So. Shout out to uh, Italian fans. You guys are the best. And um, we love your food. We love your food. Oh, my God. If you could see the DMs that Dan and I have, like, just about pasta and pizza. Like, within the past week, I think you sent me 10 different pizza posts. So, there's that. It is what it is. And I think we also trended in Germany, which is, you know, fitting for this episode. Uh, awesome. Yeah. Thanks to our Italian and German friends. You guys are the bomb.com. So thank you for the support. There you are. And uh, yeah, that's it. Thank you guys for the support. And as always, we will see you in the next episode. Peace. That's all for today. The Next Bite Podcast is produced by WeWalver. And to learn more about the topics we discussed today, visit WeWalver.com. If you enjoyed this episode, Please review and subscribe via Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or one of your favorite platforms. I'm Forbode. And I'm Daniel. Thank you for listening, and we'll see you in the next episode.